focus to normal, seeing it is Armistice Day, and we are going to uh, not only remember the sacrifice of uh, those young men and women who uh, gave their life for us in the First World War, uh, we are also going to remember the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ to give us eternal life and peace with God as our forebears gave us peace here in this nation. And uh, so at 11 o'clock, uh, whatever we're doing, uh, just warning the worship team as well, or the coffee people at 11 o'clock, hopefully my message will be finished by there, at 11 o'clock, Gerard's already told me to be short, <laughs> um, at 11 o'clock <laughs> on the 11th day, uh, of the 11th month, we will pause for a minute's silence, and then I will conclude that time by reading the ode, all right? So uh, please, whatever we're doing, whatever we're up to in the service, um, I will call that, and we will stop and stand for a minute's silence, whatever we're having to do, lest we forget. Well, today's Remembrance Day, and as been mentioned, World War I ended at 11 a.m. on the 11th day of the 11th month in 1918 when Germany signed the armistice. World War I began on July the 28th, 1914, and uh, ran for four years and four months till 11th of November, 1918. And uh, it began after the assassination of the Austrian Archduke Franz Ferdinand and his wife, and due to all the, the uh, political connections between different countries, it escalated from there. World War I was one of the deadliest conflicts in the history of the human race. As I said, it lasted for four years and four months. The total number of military and civilian casualties in World War I was about 40 million. Estimates range from 15 to 19 million deaths and about 23 million wounded military personnel, making it among the deadliest conflicts in human history. The Australian population in 1914-18 was 4 million. They went and trained in Egypt after they left here. 416,809 Australians enlisted for service in the First World War representing 38.7% of the total male population aged between 18 to 44. At almost 65%, the Australian casualty rate proportionate to total embarkations was the highest of the war. For Australia, as for many nations, the First World War remains the costliest conflict in terms of deaths and casualties. From a population of fewer than 5,416,809 men enlisted, of which over 60,000 were killed and 156,000 wounded, gassed or taken prisoner. According to the Australian War Memorial, 2,139 nurses served with the Australian Army Nursing Service and 130 with the Queen Alexandra Imperial Military Nursing Service. A further 40, 423 nurses served in hospitals in Australia and the National Archives of Australia cites 2,000 304 confirmed nurses and perhaps as many as 2,500. World War I ended, at, as I said, at 11 a.m. on the 11th day of the 11th month in 1918. Germany signed an armistice, an agreement for peace and no more fighting that had been prepared by Britain and France. At the start of 1918, 
Germany was in a strong position and was expected to win the war. However, I want to focus on one battle where the Australian soldiers played an incredible part in fulfilling biblical prophecy. And if you've never read the book, I encourage you to do it, called Riders of Destiny. It happened at a place called Beersheba. It's named the Well of the Oath. It's where Abraham and Abimelech, a powerful Philistine king with his army commander, made a pact of peace together where Abraham dug a well and then Abimelech's men were trying to steal the well and Abraham gave a gift to Abimelech and said under oath that he was telling the truth that he had dug that well and it was his well. It was the uh, place of giving an oath, Beersheba. And uh, there Abraham called on the name of the Lord, the eternal God. And we'll come back to Abraham Because this morning I want you to go away with one thought. God always keeps his promises. God always keeps his promises. The general of that battle overseeing it was Lieutenant General Sir Harry Chevelle. Many are unaware that it was the Australian light horsemen who opened the doorway for the liberation of Jerusalem from centuries of Muslim rule and for the founding of the modern nation of Israel. These Aussies achieved what no other nation, including the Crusaders, Napoleon, and the British armies could do. And it happened at Beersheba. Actually, the interesting thing about Henry Cheval, let me just go back and read you one thing from his, about his daughter as well. General Harry Cheval, daughters, was called the Queen of Snowy River. Ellen Mitchell, daughter of the famous Anzac Desert warrior, General Cheval, was known as the Queen of the Snowy Mountains. Her father, Sir Harry Cheval, was Australia's greatest warrior horseman. In 1917, he commanded the largest force of mounted troops since the time of Alexander the Great, the fabled desert corps of 34,000 horsemen and cameleers. Harry Chevelle, emu plume, flying from his slouch hat, led his men on long, thirsty night marches from the deserts of Sinai through El Arish onto the great battles of Magdar and Rafa. Knighted in battle, he led the desert corps in the charge of the light horsemen at Beersheba and to the heart of the Holy Land, Jerusalem and on through Jordan Valley to the plain of Eshtralon, ancient Armageddon, and to Damascus and beyond, chasing the Turks. Ellen was only a small child when her father was called to war, first to Gallipoli, and then on through the deserts of the Middle East. One of the most treasured possessions she still has is a Bible he sent her, pressed between its pages, a dried wildflowers that her father had picked in the wilderness of Judea. He carried a Bible and was actually a lay preacher in the Anglican Church. And so the battle of Beersheba happened. 
The charge of the 4th Australian Light Horse at Beersheba late in the afternoon of the 31st of October 1917 is remembered as the last great cavalry charge. The assault of Beersheba began at dawn with the infantry divisions of British Corps attacking from the south and southwest. Despite artillery and air support, neither the infantry attacks from the south or the Anzac Mounted Division's attack from the east had succeeded in capturing Beersheba by mid-afternoon. When time was running out for the Australians to capture Beersheba and its wells before dark, because they were running out of water for all the horses and for men as well, Lieutenant General Harry Chevelle, the Australian commander of the Desert Mounted Corps, ordered Brigadier General William Grant, commanding the 4th Light Horse Brigade, to make a mounted attack directly towards the town. This is different because Australian Light Horse never charged. They were not cavalry, they were infantry who rode horses to get to where they were going. And then they would dismount and fight the battle on foot. So this is not what they used to do. Chevelle knew from aerial photographs that the Turkish trenches in front of the town were not protected by barbed wire. However, German bombing had forced the 4th Brigade into a scattered formation and it was not until 4.50pm that they were in position. The brigade assembled behind rising ground of five ground six kilometres kilometer southeast of Beersheba with the 4th Light Horse Regiment on the right, the 12th Light Horse Regiment on the left and the 11th Light Horse Regiment in reserve. The Australian Light Horse was to be used purely as cavalry for the first time. Although they were not equipped with cavalry sabres, the Turks who faced the long bayonets held by the Australians did not consider there was much difference between the charge by cavalry and a charge by mounted infantry. The Light Horse moved off at a trot and almost at once quickened to a gallop. As they came over the top of the ridge and looked down the long gentle open slope to Beersheba, they were seen by the Turkish gunners who opened fire with shrapnel. But the pace was too fast for the gunners. After three kilometres, Turkish machine guns opened fire from the flank, but they were detected and silenced by British artillery. The rifle fire from the Turkish trenches was wild and high as the light horse approached. The front trench and the main trench were jumped, and some men dismounted and then attacked the Turks with rifle and bayonets from the, from the rear. Some galloped ahead to seize the rear trenches while other squadrons galloped straight into Beersheba. Nearly all the wells of Beersheba were intact and further water was available from a storm that had filled the pools. The 4th and 12th Light Horse casualties were 31 killed and 36 wounded. They captured over 700 men. The capture of Beersheba meant the Gaza-Beersheba line was turned. Gaza fell a few weeks later, and on 9th of December 1917, the British troops entered and liberated Jerusalem. After over four centuries. On that same day of the 31st of October, the British government issued the following declaration known as the Balfour Declaration on October the 31st, 1917. The same, the, the Light Horse... Can we just turn that echo down for a second? The same day the Light Horse made their charge on Beersheba. His Majesty's Government views with favour the establishment in Palestine of a national home for the Jewish people and will use its best endeavours to facilitate the achievement of this object. 
It being clearly understood that nothing shall be done which may jeopardize the civil and religious rights of the existing non-Jewish communities in Palestine or the rights and political status enjoyed by Jews in any other country. War Cabinet meeting, 31st of October, 1917. And so opened the way for the nation of Israel to come into being and the Jewish people to return to their homeland after being exiled. God keeps his promises. In Genesis chapter 12, you read this. The Lord had said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. God in Genesis made three promises to Abraham, a personal blessing, a national blessing, and an international blessing. And you can follow the story of the Bible as the fulfillment of the promises he made to Abraham. He was blessed personally, and he became a very wealthy man. He was blessed nationally, and through him, the nation of the Jewish people and the nation of Israel came about, and, he was prom- and they were promised a land in Palestine. And there was international blessing that is fulfilled in what we are about to remember around this sacrifice here, because God keeps his promises. And the story of Jesus reminds us as you read the account of Matthew, who starts, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Sometimes we get bored with those genealogies. But the beginning of the gospel of Jesus, written by Matthew, is saying this is the fulfillment of the promise made to Abraham centuries before, that through him, blessing would come to the nations. And so you can follow that genealogy, and it's in small print, you can read it from yourself in the Gospel of Matthew, and it ends with Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Because God made a promise to Abraham through one of his seed, one of his descendants, blessing would come to the nations. And that blessing is the blessing of forgiveness of sins and the gift of eternal life that you can follow and see being offered through the coming of the Messiah our Lord Jesus Christ. God keeps his promises. Can I turn something off or turn something down? No, okay. So lest we forget not only the sacrifice of our soldiers, but the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus. And so this morning we're going to meet around the Lord's table and in a moment we're going to take some bread and we're going to take the cup of grape juice and we're going to eat it and drink it together to remind us that Jesus, the Messiah, also made a promise that he would die, that he would rise, and that he would come again. And remember, we remember those promises in this remembrance feast, because God always keeps his promises. Jesus said, he began to teach them that the Son of Man, talking about himself, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And then he must be killed and after three days rise again. And then we read that he was killed and crucified. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the Son of God. God keeps his promises. He said he would be crucified just as the Old Testament had prophesied, and he was, and history records it. He also said on the third day he would rise from the dead. He began to teach them 
that he must be killed and after three days rise again. And we read, when Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, that first Sunday, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. Christ rose from the dead as he promised he would. And the Lord Jesus Christ also said that he would come again. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. And the book of the Revelation pictures there in also prophecy, the seventh angel sounded his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven which said, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah and he will reign forever and ever. That promise is not yet fulfilled and we'll learn a little bit more of that, about that in the coming weeks. Christ will come again. And so as we take the bread and as we take the wine this morning, we're remembering that God keeps his promise right back from Abraham at Beersheba. The promise, the one day blessing would come to the nations. And that blessing would come through a seed of Abraham, a descendant of Abraham, who history records is Jesus, the Messiah who would die on a cross to take the judgment of our sin, who would be buried, and on the third day rise from the dead to break the power of sin and death over our lives and bring us forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit, peace with God and the peace of God. And Christ fulfilled that. Christ has died, Christ has risen, and he kept those two promises and he's promised that he will come again. So this morning we remember the international blessing promised to Abraham, fulfilled in Jesus, the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. We're going to ask those who are going to wait on us to uh, pass out the uh, bread and the wine. If you're a guest here, please know that you are welcome to participate with us this morning. Also here at Outlook, if you'd like your children to participate with you, they are welcome to join with us if they're sitting with you and they'd like to take some bread and a cup and uh, eat and drink with us, they are most welcome. The sacrifices of our soldier gave us a country in which we can live at peace sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ has given us the peace of God in our heart and forgiveness of sins and peace with God through the gift of the Holy Spirit restored to relationship with our Creator. from the Lord what I also passed on to you the Apostle Paul writes the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance in the same way after supper he took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood the new armistice do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me 
For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we look back to the fact that Christ has died. We do it together with the risen Christ, for Christ is risen. And it points to the coming Christ. Christ will come again. We're going to stand and read together the summary of the Christian faith, the Apostles' Creed. Please stand with me. Let's affirm this out loud together as the foundation on which we eat and drink. Let's read it together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Universal Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let's eat together and be grateful. In your heart, say thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for me. In your heart, say thank you for forgiving my sins and giving me the gift of eternal life. In your heart, say thank you for your sacrifice on my behalf, in my place, for my guilt. again from the dead and he's alive and he's coming in power and glory to rule and reign will you raise your glasses with me in honor of jesus and say together till jesus comes till jesus comes let's drink let's pray father we thank you that you're a god of your word you keep your promises we can stake our life on you. You promised to forgive our sins and give us the gift of eternal life if we would repent, if we would turn to you and put our trust in Jesus and receive his gift. And you have done that. And we thank you. And together we remembered your sacrifice on the cross for us. You died, you rose. And we look forward to your coming again. When death will be no more. When there'll be new heavens and earth. Where righteousness will dwell. When we will receive our resurrection bodies. And we will see you face to face. And we will be with you forever. So Lord, encourage us. Help us to remain faithful. Help us to keep our word as you keep your word. May we be people of the word. And we ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated.